How many of you have tried uh, in your life, you wanted to start over in a particular area of your life? Maybe it was a situation or a circumstance in your life that you think, if knowing what I know now, if I could go back and change that, I certainly would. Maybe it was a job situation or maybe it was a relationship or it was a money situation that you think, man, I wish I could just go back and start over. What if we could rewind? What if we could rewind just for a moment and be able to go back to that time where maybe we compromised? Maybe we were enticed or lured in by sexual sin. Now, I know some of you didn't see that coming this morning, but I truly believe that this morning we are starting a series called, What Does God Say About Dot, Dot, Dot? And this morning we are talking about, what does God say about sexual sin. Uh, I get the privilege of being able to preach on this. Um, Matt's like, hey, come in and preach. Uh, we're not here to beat you up this morning, especially in this topic, but we are here to build you up. But in saying that, we want to challenge you. What does God's word say regarding sexual sin, especially when it flies in the face of a culture that is endorsing promiscuity. And I would just ask that this morning you would just keep an open heart and an open mind, especially when our culture screams at us to engage in sexual sin, that we would find ourselves saying that I desire more than anything else to do what God wants me to do, that God's ways are always, always the best way. So here's our main point that we're going to go with this morning, and that is this. Though you cannot go back and make a brand new start, anyone can start from now and make a brand new end. Though you cannot go back and make a brand new start, anyone can start from now and make a brand new end. And I want to give you three words this morning that comes from our text in 1 Corinthians 6. Three words that I hope will resonate in your heart, not just for today, not just for tomorrow, but every day of every week of every month throughout your lifetime. Before I give you those three words this morning that are in our text, I want us to take a look at our text that we'll be walking through, and I want us to read it. So 1 Corinthians 6, verses 13 through 18, follow along. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall then I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. One of the things that I think we should recognize right away is the city of Corinth was no stranger at all to sexual immorality and sexual sin, much like America today. Um, they had become controlled by their own fleshly desires and appetites. 
I mean, think about our culture today, how it's just pushing and pushing and pushing promiscuity. And so uh, it was so, Corinth was so uh, morally corrupt that they were given the name as Corinthianizers, synonymous with sexual and immoral depravity. And around Corinth, there were pagan temples that had prostitutes, male and female, that would give sexual favor to people as they tried to lure them in to appease their pagan gods. Three times in this passage this morning, we will see Paul say this. Do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not know? In other words, this should be on your radar. This should be something you should be aware of. Apparently, many of the Christian believers in Corinth did not know and thought that their sexual immorality or sexual sins had no tie or no connection to their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They saw them as being separate. And Paul says, no, no, hold on, time out. The chains of sexual sin can become very strong and very heavy, and it will ultimately hinder your vertical relationship with the Lord. And it will also hinder your horizontal relationship with others. John MacArthur says this, no sin is more enslaving than sexual sin. The more it is indulged, the more it controls the indulger. Often it begins with small indiscretions, which leads to greater ones. So let me give you the first word that we see in this passage that will help us in just being in a culture where we, as believers in Christ, can maintain some kind of purity. If I started over here with this woman all the way over here and went all the way over here to Jordan over here, I hope that all of us this morning would say, I desire to live a life that would honor God. And so these three words to keep in mind this morning will help us when our purity is at stake. And the first word is in verse 18, and that is the word flee. Say it with me, flee. Now say it with conviction, flee, uh, to run, to get out of there, uh, not to wait around, not to hesitate, uh, not to see how this is going to be played out, but to flee. Paul does not say in this passage, be brave during these times. Stand your ground during these times. He doesn't say resist the lustful passion of immorality, but flee from its presence because the chains of sexual sin can be strong. How many of you would agree with that? We live in a world where sexual sins can be extremely strong and we have to guard our heart and guard our mind from that. Let me help you to understand it. So let's say you walk into your house and right in the middle of your living room floor is an eight foot poisonous snake that is coiled up ready to strike. I don't think anyone here, unless you're weird, would stick around. I think all of us would flee. A poisonous snake, any kind of snake, we would flee. I don't think anyone would go, oh, that is so cute. I don't think any of us would coddle it. I don't think any of us would try to pick it up and, and kind of scratch its hood. No. 
We, we, would, we would say, get out of there. Flee. It's poisonous. This is the point that Paul is making here when he says, flee from sexual immorality. Many believers underestimate the power and the poison of sexual sins that our culture throws at us 24-7. See, I could give you statistics today, but that will not matter. We know it already. We see it in our world. There's the temptation. There's the lure. But will we be willing to flee? And some of us have been duped into thinking that we can just resist all of this on our own. And we need the Spirit of God who gives us the power every single day to say, I am God's man, God's woman, doing God's business for God's glory. To flee. My neighbor's a really strong Christian. And uh, uh, in Scripture it says, uh, um, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. My neighbor always says, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh, man, the flesh is really willing. The flesh tries to pull you in so much, exactly where you're at. But I want you to understand something uh, in this passage. Paul, just, Paul does not say flee from sex. He says flee from sexual immorality. See, there is something so good and so wonderful about a sexual relationship within the context of marriage that God honors. It is pure. It is good. It is holy. It brings glory to God. But sexual sin perverts God's purpose and God's plan. From that one God-flesh relationship that he desires. When you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand today, but how many of us have chosen to sin, and because of that sin, we have suffered through that? Sin always promises, but rarely delivers without any kind of guilt or shame or regret. Paul says, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. We, it would do us well to remember the example of Joseph in Genesis 39, where Joseph is in Potiphar's house. Uh, Potiphar has allowed him to have everything with the exception of what Potiphar eats. And Joseph is doing his thing and he's trying to be faithful to God. And one day, here comes Potiphar's wife and she casts her eyes on Joseph. And she says, come to bed with me. I desire you. I want you. And she is not going to give up quickly. And Joseph says these words. How could I sin against her? No. How could I sin against Potiphar? No. How could I sin against Egypt, which he was in? No. How could I sin against my God? His character, his reputation was so important to him that he didn't want to do anything to disrupt the character and the glory of God. How could I sin against my God? This phrase, sexual immorality, or to flee from it, it's it's in three ways. One is fleeing sexual intercourse with anyone we are not married to. Two, to flee sexual gratification short of intercourse with anyone we are not married to. To flee sexual gratification that that we might find from a pornographic video or a magazine or internet site. Um, During this time of COVID, 
Uh, remember when you were kind of in your house and uh, one night your husband uh, wanted to watch a movie and the next night you got to pick the movie and it lasted for about three months? And everybody was kind of trapped in their house. Pornographic websites went up over 21%. We are told, as believers in Christ that love the Lord, flee. Now, how easy is it for me to say, flee this morning? Ah, flee. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing that I would put that into action. And I would want to honor the Lord with my life. It doesn't matter what age you are, the enemy will always try to strike in a place where you're weak. Verse 18 tells us this. Or I, I should say this. I, I'm so thankful that Paul doesn't just say, flee sexual immorality, but he gives us the reason why. Because there's someone sitting here this morning saying, well, what's the big deal? I'll tell you what the big deal is. And it's here in verse 18. Every sin that a man or woman commits is outside the body, but he or she who commits, a sexual, uh, commits sexual immorality sins against their own body. See, when we, we commit any kind of sexual sin, it's against ourselves. It harms us, and it harms the person God intends for us to have within the context of marriage. Now, I want you to understand something. Paul is not saying that this is the worst sin or that this sin is worse than any other sin. But what he is saying is that he's emphasizing that sexual sin has a unique effect on our body that other sins do not. The effect is not only physical, but also emotional and spiritual, that it wears on us. He goes on, verse 15, he says, Do you not know, there's that saying, that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? And what does he say? Never, never. We are members of Christ. Don't be involved with something that would cause that to be different. Every time we compromise our purity, something inside our spirit dies a little bit. When I was in college, we were on a floor that had about 30 guys. There was a guy that was on our floor, and he started to date somebody almost the day that he got on campus. He, he dated real fast, and it got physical real fast. And I could watch as this guy would come into the lounge room right in the middle of our floor, and he would plop himself down on a chair, and you could see the regret that he had on his face. You could see the shame that he had. He would go out with his girlfriend. Things developed. He got very physical. And he would come back in the sense of grief and the sense of guilt and the sense of regret was there. And there was one night I was in that lounge and a bunch of us were in there. And this guy comes in and you could see it on his face again. One more time of where he got pulled down and enticed and lured in by sexual sin. And his heart is broken. And he flops down on that chair, and he goes, well, this isn't going to help. And he gets in his pocket, and he throws on the table about 15 little pieces of paper that had verses of Proverbs in it. And he thought it would be wise for him to write down verses of Proverbs and put it in his pocket before he went out on his date. And we all just started to laugh, because we're like, I won't say his name, but we said, dude, we said, the verses in Proverbs do no good in your pocket. 
The verses in Proverbs and how to resist temptation need to be in your heart in order for you to flee from this. Verse 16 goes on and says, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body, one flesh with her? There, there is that husband and wife relationship, that one flesh sexual union. And as a result of it, we're under God's blessing because of that within the context of marriage. But when there is sexual sin, whether it be outside of marriage or in marriage, in many ways we are under God's accountability. We are under really a curse. So what's at stake? When a person commits sexual sin outside of marriage as well as inside marriage, there is less to give to the Lord and less to give to the partner God intends for them. The results of sexual sin will be catastrophic in some way. Warren Wearsby, who went home to be with the Lord years ago, uh, said this. Think of it this way. Sex outside of marriage is like a man robbing a bank. He may get away with it, but the money is not his, and he will one day pay for it. But sex within marriage can be like a person putting money into a bank. There is safety, there is security, and he will collect dividends. That's our first word. What's the first word? Tell me. Oh my, I'll give you another run at it. What's the first word? Flee. Not to wait around, not to hesitate, not to see how it's going to play out, but flee because the chains of sexual sin are very strong. But he gives us a way out. He gives us a way out. The second word is temple. Say it with me. Temple. Temple. Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God came in and took residency in your life. He pitches his tent in your life, and he's there forever, leading you and guiding you into all truth. And Paul is saying, listen, as we flee, we should be reminded that our body is not our own, that our body is made in the image of God, and that the Spirit of God is within us, giving us the power, the same power that rose Christ from the dead, it's the same power that he gives to you to be able to flee from these sexual sins. And so we have the Spirit of God within us. And that Spirit of God, it's like a sanctuary. It's like a temple. A temple which is sacred to God and pure from immorality. That should be true not only in our sexual behavior, but also in all behaviors. So we don't have the right to pollute it. We don't have the right to abuse or destroy God's property. Uh, this is God's property right here. It doesn't belong to me. It's God's property. I've given him my life. The Spirit of God leads me into all truth. Are there challenges? Yes. But I, this, is, this is his body, his property. He takes up residency in my life. He's the owner of my body. Well, what about just about a little sin? What about just a little, little bit of sexual sin? I mean, could that hurt at all? Well, Scripture is clear in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, that says, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity 
or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So there was a, a, a high schooler and uh, uh, the mother saw what was coming. Uh, playing a lot of video games. Some of them were very questionable. And one day she said, you should not be playing these video games at all. And he, she said, they're so violent. He said, mom, come on. It's just a little bit of violence. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, everybody's playing these games. It's just a little bit of violence. It's, it's, there's no harm in it. She noticed that when he was around his friends that the language that he would use was some strong and very inappropriate language. And she called him on it. She said, honey, the language that you're using, it's just inappropriate. He said, it's just a little bit of language. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, everybody's doing it. And then all of a sudden, one, one night she walks in and, and he's watching a movie with his buddies and it was very inappropriate and there was some nudity. And, and she said, you should not be watching this. And, and he said, mom, come on, it's just a, it's a little bit of nudity. It's not big, big of a deal. And she got furious and she said, enough is enough is enough. She said, go to your room, I don't even want to see you. And he went upstairs to his room, closed the door. About an hour later, he smelled something waffling underneath his door coming into his bedroom. He could smell brownies. He's like, oh man, those smell good. He unlocked his door and he went downstairs and his mom made a big tray of brownies. She said, would you like a brownie? He said, oh, I'd love a brownie. She goes, you know what, I'm going to cut you a really big piece of brownie, cold glass of milk. He goes, man, this is great. She cut him a piece of brownie and put it on a plate. She said, there you go, honey. And just as he's about ready to lift it, to eat it. She said, I just want to tell you one thing before you eat that. There's just a little bit of poop in those brownies. <laughs> and he said, what? Yeah, there's just a little bit of poop. You, you wouldn't even recognize it. You probably won't even taste it. I don't even know if it will make you sick, but, but it's, it's okay. It's not that big of a deal. And he goes, why in the world would I want to eat brownies that have poop in it? And she said, why would you want to subject yourself to some of the things that are going on in your life right now? I think you understand. We say it's just a little bit, but it's not. It will hinder our vertical and horizontal relationship. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Flee. Temple. And the last word is glorify. Glorify. Verse 20, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, we were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. It's as if Jesus Christ redeemed us and walked in the slave market of sin and saw our life and redeemed us, not by materialism, not by possessions, not by our works, but by his blood. He rescued us. We have been rescued from our sin. We have been redeemed by his blood. We have been transformed by his spirit. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Aren't you thankful for that today? I have been bought with a price, and that price is Jesus' blood. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Our hands, our mouth, our ears, our feet, our eyes, that we would glorify him 
Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. How serious are we about bringing glory to God through our bodies? The Holy Spirit has given us the power to overcome and break the chains of sinful behavior. Uh, J.A. Lacey said this, The cross we carry is never so heavy as the chains from which we were freed. Are you glorifying God with your body? Have you found yourself saying, I am so sick and tired of what the world is throwing at me? And maybe you're sitting here today and you're fine for a while and then you give in. And you're fine for a while and then you give in. That you would flee. That you would be reminded that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You, you're the image of God. And that you would glorify God. Though you cannot go back and make a brand new start, anyone can start from now and make a brand new new end. It's called the Pelicano. The Pelicano in 1986 was the most unwanted ship on the ocean. Nobody wanted the Pelicano to come into their port. The Dominicans said no. Honduras said no. The Netherlands said no. Um, uh, all over the world for over a year, this ship would try to get in from port to port to port and no one would let the Pelicano in. What was wrong with this 433-foot vessel? Was it its crew? No. Was it its ownership? No. Was it not seaworthy? No. What was wrong with the Pelicano is what was inside the Pelicano. Because inside the Pelicano was 15,000 tons of trash. Nothing but garbage. Way back in 1986 in the city of Philadelphia, the municipal workers went on strike and the trash began to get higher and higher and higher and no one was taking the trash away because everyone was on strike. So the captain of the Pelicano said, I'll turn a quick buck. I'll take all the trash from the city of Philadelphia, put it in my ship, the Pelicano, and I'll take it to some island or some country and they'll take it. Guess what? Nobody wants someone else's trash. Nobody wants someone else's garbage. And so they would go from country to country and they would say, no, we don't want it. In our lives, there's things that we wish we could start over. And, and we go to the world and we say, will you take my trash? Will you, will you take my garbage? And the world says, no, I don't want it. We even go to a friend and we'll say, will you take my trash? Will you take my garbage? And they say, no, I don't want it. I've got enough of my own. We even come into the church and we say, will you please take my trash, my garbage? And the church says, no. But aren't you thankful there is one that does? Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ will take our blunders, our sin, and he will redeem us and he will give us a story, a rescue story that we have never, ever could ever do on our own? that we give him our trash, we give him our garbage, and in return, he gives us newness of life. He gives us a purpose and a plan worth living for. He gives us the right heart and the right spirit, a new life. 
This past year, I've been holding on to a, a guy that is an incredible singer. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Zach Williams. If not, go on YouTube. He has got so many incredible songs. There's a song that I have been listening to for months called Chain Breaker. And it's just a great reminder of all that we've talked about this morning. Lord, that these things have been holding on to me, being able to let go of them and let you have that, Lord. And we're going to sing that this morning. The worship team is going to sing that. And we're going to ask that you sing along. If you've heard it on the fish or another Christian uh, radio, but that we would be reminded that Jesus Christ is the only one that can break those chains. We can't do it on our own, no matter what it might be. But he gives us the power to be able to do that. He is our chain breaker. I'm not going to ask you to come forward this morning if you're struggling in this area or other areas of your life, but right where you're sitting, that as we're singing this song, if there's a struggle, if you wish you could start over in this particular area of your life, what a great time just to make that your time with the Lord. Flee, temple, glorify. In doing so, the chains are gone, and I've been set free.